best and blessed wishes for the new year from me and mine to you and yours. Um, as I started my year just on Monday, obviously, it's when we all started our year, uh, I was just going through my normal routine uh, in the orderliness of the day. And what I tend to do quite early in the morning, or as soon as I wake up, this happened to not be early, it was a public holiday. Uh, I started reading my Bible plan for the day. And in the orderliness of it all, I was just arrested by four words. Just four words that I've read, I'm guessing, hundreds of times. Four words that could be rather simple, plain, just normal English words. But four words just stopped me. Now, because it was the first day of the year, and I was on my Bible reading plan, you might be able to guess what those words were. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And that started a bit of a thought process for me on Monday. And then as I prepared to share with you today, that's the foundation of the message. And as I was thinking it through, just to make sure, you know, I'm balancing it out. God's not only in the beginning. Uh, Revelation 1.17 tells us he's also in the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Colossians 1.17 tells us that Jesus holds all things together. So he's not only the first and the last, he's everything else in between. Is that okay? But we want to focus a little bit on the beginning. And the title of my message this morning, uh, as we begin the year particularly, also is Begin with God. And I do think it's important to begin the year with God, but I think the phrase, the idea, the concept is important for the whole year for us. Begin with God in every celebration this year. Begin with God in February. Begin with God in June. Begin with God in December. Begin with God in every challenge. Begin with God in every thing that you might go through, every celebration, every gift, every loss, begin with God. In every relationship, begin with God. Uh, Pastor Louis spoke last Sunday about necessary endings as things end. Begin with God as things need to be ended in your life as well. And so, uh, as I was thinking on that, and I just want to uh, get into that a little bit this morning, the Lord uh, drew my attention to Ephesians chapter 3. There's a prayer that Paul prays there that I just want to read through and comment rather informally. And just look at some ideas from that passage that we can use to begin with God well. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible app on it, please open it to Ephesians 3. The scriptures will come up on the screens. But if it's in your own device and Bible, it just helps to see it for yourself. So God is the first and the last and he's everything else in between. And as we start the new year, and I know it's not all magic that, you know, new date, new year or everything. But I do think it's a, quite a year <laughs> Uh, that we, if we look at the things that are happening globally, nationally, locally, perhaps even in your personal life towards the end of last year, they're all continuing into this year. I think particularly in our nation, because it's a year of elections, it's a crucial year because we set the tone for a number of other years that come in our nation. We all face, and I think it's just signs of the times, I guess, increasing uncertainty. Things that are, we're just really not sure where they're gonna go, how they're gonna land, whether that's from the global scale all the way down to personal relationships, families, and things like that. And it's in the space of uncertainty, in the space of knowing that we are facing many things, that it's a significant year. And I believe it's in that space that it's also important to begin with God. And to do, begin with God, I think it also means that we have an opportunity to get to know Him better, particularly if we start with Him in every aspect of our lives. We have the opportunity to get to know Him better, I think we need to know, and we'll look at it in this passage, how much we are really loved. I think we can expect God to work with power in us and through us in this year, all 
so that his plans and his purposes may be accomplished in our lives and on the earth for, for his glory. And so we come to this passage, this prayer that Paul prays. We're going to start reading from verse 14 in Ephesians 3. Uh, after Paul has spent quite some time in his letter building up to it, this, <coughs> excuse me, my uh, December gift was an upper respiratory tract infection, so I'm working on it. I've taken every antihistamine in my cupboard and it's still not helping, so don't worry, it was healthy. Um, back to the text. So Paul builds to this place in Ephesians 3. Uh, after going through some quite, um, I think he's quite astounded, he's, perhaps a good word is he's marveling at God has done. As he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus and the Christians in Asia Minor, he marvels in chapter 1, he starts by going, look at what God the Father has done. He sent Jesus. And look at everything that God has accomplished in the world through Jesus. And he goes on from this quite magnificent passage in chapter 1 to reflecting in chapter 2 how God has reconciled humanity to himself. In particular, how he's reconciled Jews and Gentiles, people from very different frameworks, worldviews, cultures. And in Christ, he's made a way for them to come together to form a new family, to form a new body, to form a new community in Christ. And he, he's astounded, actually, by this. And then he gets a little sidetracked and he goes, and I can't believe God called me to be involved in this as well. And when he finishes that thought, he gets to this prayer in Ephesians 3. It's an amazing prayer. And it's a little strange to preach on a prayer because prayer should be prayed, not preached on necessarily. So I'm just going to comment as I go through. But let's read. Uh, we'll probably do about two, two and a half verses at a time and, and then just uh, reflect a little bit as we go. So Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14 uh, to the first half of verse 17 now. For this reason, for everything that God has done, because he's just said in verse 12, we can approach God with confidence. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel. He begins with God in prayer. He says, I kneel before the Father, this wonderful Father that we've read about in Ephesians 1, from whom every family in heaven and on earth, every God is the source of origin of every living thing, from, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray, as Anil Paul says, that out of his, out of the Father, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I think Paul's prayer can be our prayer. I don't think it's a prayer that Paul just prayed for the Ephesians church. I think it's a prayer we can take and appropriate for ourselves. Uh, sometimes when I teach this to, to students in the Bible school, I say, you need to take this prayer, have your Bible open, because it's always good to pray the Bible, lay your hands on yourself, not as hard as I just did, but lay your hands on yourself and pray this prayer over your life. Pray the contents of what Paul's about to pray. And so um, I know we've been encouraged to pray many things through the service this morning. This will be about the third one, I think I was counting. Um, pray this prayer when the Lord reminds you, each week, each month, as the Lord reminds you, come back to this prayer in Ephesians 3. Pray it over yourself. Pray it over your spouse. Pray it over your children. Pray it over your family. Pray it over us as a church. Pray it over the church and the city. So Paul's prayer can be our prayer, but it's interesting, as Paul starts this prayer, he turns the attention to God and he says, out of his glorious riches, God has enough. God's not on a budget. God doesn't have a scarcity. He's not having a famine year or something like that. God is abundantly rich. He has enough. As a source for us, we can get everything we need for life and godliness, as the scriptures say in another place. 
to live our lives for him, God is everything we need. And not only is he everything we need, he gives us everything we need by strengthening us with the power of his Holy Spirit. Out of God's abundance, he strengthens us with his spirit or through his spirit. Now, this is important for me. One of my understandings of the Christian life is that it's impossible. It's not easy to truly be a disciple of Jesus. It's not easy to kind of swim upstream when the whole world is going downstream. And in ourselves as humans, it's actually not possible to do that. We need the power of God. We need to mean the words we sang this morning, come Holy Spirit, come in my life and help me to be a disciple. Come in my life and help me to live for you. And this is what Paul prays for the Ephesians. This is what Paul prays for us, that the Holy Spirit would come and give us the strength, the energy, and the power that we need to truly live for him. The Christian life cannot be lived out of your strength alone. You need God to come and breathe on you and to empower you by his Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this power, and I think the NIV translates it well, verse 17, so that. Why does God give you power? Just so that you can feel great on a Sunday morning? Maybe. But I think God gives you power so that Christ may live in your heart through faith, Paul writes. Now, when Paul talks about heart, he's not obviously talking about the heart heart. He's not just talking about the seat of your emotions. When Paul uses the word heart here, he means the very essence, the very core of who you are. And that core of who you are is everything of who you are. And so when he says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you with power so that Jesus can be at the center of everything of who you are. Jesus can be at the center, at the core of all your emotions, all your thoughts, all your wills, all your doings, every aspect of your being, your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life. But Jesus can be at the center of that so that you can live this life of faith. Faith in this sense and biblically, I think, faith is always about responding to what God has already done. God acted and he saved us and we respond to that. God speaks promises for the future and we believe it and we act in accordance with that. And so this life of faith we live with Jesus at the core, at the center of who we are, is a life of faith where we respond to what Jesus says. If Jesus says, do this, we do that. If we read in his word, he wants us to do this, we obey. We increasingly orientate and center our lives on Jesus. That's what the life of faith is about. It's a life increasingly orientated around Jesus. And so, so far, if we want to begin with God, in the beginning God, if we want to begin with God, I think it's good that we begin like Paul does. We come to the Father in prayer. If we begin with God, it means that we get to know him more and more. We get to know not only that he has enough, but that he is enough for everything in my life. Out of his glorious riches, he can strengthen me with power through his spirit. We also know that we can begin with power. I'm gonna read a little bit more about power later. We have the power, the strength we need to live for Jesus in the year ahead. And we begin with faith based on what Jesus has done. Let's keep reading in Ephesians chapter three, second half of verse 17. Paul repeats again and he says, and I pray, comes back to God, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure 
of all the fullness of God. I pray that you, Paul says, together with all God's holy people. One of my challenges culturally as I read the scriptures, I read it very individualistically. When I read the word you, I think it means me. And I think Paul does mean you. I think he means me. Yeah. But he also says that there's something that happens within me with all God's holy people. It's got a much more communal view of, of the Christian faith. Together with God's people. You see, there's elements of God's love that I can understand on my own experience, on my own, and express on my own. But there's other elements of God's love that I need from others that I need from my community. And so if I want to begin with God, I need a community that's rooted in God. Now, one of the things that Paul prays here is for us individually, but for us as a community, that we are rooted and established in love. In other words, that we stand rock solid knowing that God loves us, that he loves us, I like to say it this way, more than I can imagine and more than I can understand. We, I think because of our human frailty, I think because of our sinful natures that limits us in understanding some things about life and God and, and that God teaches us and helps us as we grow in God. But I don't think we will ever fully understand how much God loves us. And to do that, some things I will understand on my own, some things I'll only understand because you're here, because other members of the Christian community are here for us as well. But when I read this root, rooted, I don't know word rooted, sorry, I don't know why I always have this picture, but I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures and maybe you've seen one in real life of of these fig trees where uh, they grow through the rocks and their roots wrap around the rocks and they stand solid. And it doesn't matter if it rains or it shines, it doesn't matter if the wind blows, it doesn't matter what happens, that tree stands. It's rooted in the rock. And when I read this word rooted in the love of God, it feels like that to me, that I'm so deeply covered, so deeply know and experience the love of God in my life that nothing can shake me, that I know that I know that no matter what happens, Celebration, conflict, catastrophe, crisis, challenge, no matter what happens in my life, I know that I am loved. And this is true for all of you. Where you're sitting here today, maybe, and I think this happens just in the world around us. A lot of the messaging we get is you don't have enough, you're not enough. If you could just get this, or if you just know this, or just this, or just that. But actually, it starts with we are loved before we do anything. We are loved more than we can know or imagine. And that's the love that we need to find ourselves rooted in, in our lives and established. We need to grow in it. It needs to help us stand strong as we grow in that. Now, it's interesting for me in this passage, and I pondered on it, and I don't know if I fully understand it, but Paul prays in verse 18, and he says that you need power to understand the God's, God's love. He doesn't say you need intellect. He doesn't say you need... IQ. He doesn't say you need emotional intelligence, EQ. He doesn't say you need to be able to read 10 languages or understand the scriptures. He says you need power to understand God's love. And one of the reasons I think you need power is because of our human frailty. There's not enough in us to fully comprehend. And so not only does God love us, he gives us his spirit to help us understand it more. Power to overcome my narrow mindsets. Power to overcome the frameworks that tell me I'm not enough or I'm not good enough. Or perhaps the power to overcome the fact that I'm overinflated. Power to understand that I'm loved by God more than I can know or understand. Power that we as a community have to understand and express the love of God. There's an element of God's love that I think I receive 
internally by his spirit that I, it's revealed to me, it becomes part of my experience and part of walking with him for a long time. But there's some, for most of us, on most days, the way we will experience God's love is through others. The way the world, the people we engage with, will experience God's love mostly is through his people, through the church, through his community. And so we need power as a community to love our city. We need power as a community to love our neighborhoods. We need power as a community to love our neighbors. Because that power will help us as we express God's love, as we receive God's love, to understand him better. But it's also noteworthy that Paul prays in verse 19, and he says, you have to experientially, the the Greek is very clear, you have to experientially know this love that passes knowledge. It has to pass your intellect. It has to become more than just information. It has to become more than, when I was in Sunday school, one of the songs we sang the most was, Jesus loves me, this I? No. Now, when I was really young, I didn't actually know it, but I sang it, and then I came to know it. Okay. Jesus loves me, this I know, but I also need to, it needs to go beyond just that I know it mentally. It needs to move beyond mental ascent into my lived experience. That as I engage with God, I know that I'm loved, that this is home and this is a place where I'm accepted. Not my sin, but myself. And so to know God has to move beyond, to love God needs to move beyond experience into our lived and everyday lives. And then Paul says some words which, if I want to, and I need to be honest because I'm preaching, if I'm honest, I don't fully understand. He says that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now, I don't understand how as a human I can experience the fullness of God. It's beyond me. What at this stage, if I preach on this in five years' time, I might have a different view. But at this stage, the way I understand this is, is that there's more of God for me to experience. The more I live this life of love, the more I experience his love, the more I get to know him. The more I know him, the more I love him. And the, my measure of understanding, my fullness of God grows. I don't think this verse means that I become God. Okay, I don't think this verse means I get divine attributes. Um, but this, it's, it's, um, it's like, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right words. It's like superlative. Paul's exaggerating. You need to have everything of God in you. And I think that's his prayer, that's his desire, that as much of God as you can have in your life, God can give you. And that you can create space in your heart and life, that you can have as much of God present in you as is humanly possible. So to begin with God means know that you're loved more than you can understand or imagine. To begin with God means that we go together as God's holy people. To begin with God means that we learn to rely and grow in his love, in every single situation in our lives. And to begin with God means that we can grow to get more of God in our lives. So that's kind of Paul's prayer, and then he wraps up his prayer in verse 20 this way. We're going to read together again in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Paul says, now to him, he turns the attention back to God. He's the one who is able. It's not my good works, not my merit, not my church attendance, but to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is important. When we begin with God, we must know that he can do more than we ask or imagine. Now, some of you imagine like me, you imagine realistically. 
Okay, when I imagine, I imagine, okay, I think this is possible, we can do that. Some of you imagine big. In fact, you imagine like you might not be rooted in reality at all. You don't have to put up your hands, but we know you exist. Okay. This verse says, no matter how big you can imagine, no matter what you have imagined your life could be like, would be like, should be like, God can do more. And he can do more than you ask. Okay, amen. So you can never actually ask too big. I think you need to ask according to God's will. I think you need to ask for his glory, not for yourself. Okay, I think there's some qualifications, T's and C's. But you can never ask more than God can deliver. You can never out-ask God. And when you begin with God, ask. If I think of my life, I would never have imagined being here doing this. God did more than I imagined. I never asked for it either. I just got it, by the way. Okay. So sometimes God will do more than you. Or sometimes he'll do more than you even think to ask with your life and through your life. It says immeasurably more. You cannot measure how much you'll do. And how does he do that? Not because you're clever, smart, dress well, come from the right place. He does it because his power works in you. So often when God wants to do something, when you start with God, he starts by working in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because he's God, once he's worked in you, he starts working through you. So his power works in you and you start understanding how much you loved and then you start loving others better. So his power works in us in order that it can work through us. And this is so that God is glorified. And by the way, he works in us individually. He works in us as a community, corporately. He works through us individually and he works through us as a community. We need to remember it's a we and us kind of view that Paul has here. And God does this so that ultimately he can be glorified. Not because he needs to be glorified, but because when he's glorified, that aligns with truth. When God glorified, that aligns with the way that things should be and that it was created to be. It says he's glorified through his people in the church and he's glorified in Christ Jesus, meaning he's glorified by what God's plan is that happened through Jesus Christ, which is kind of what he unpacks in chapters one and two. The whole, everything Jesus did is intended to bring glory to the Father. And then it says, through, through all generations forever and ever. And I understand what Paul is saying there. It's just that God is glorified forever. But as I read this, I also just wanted to highlight for you, God's glory, God's plan, God doing immeasurably more. When we begin with God, he often has a multi-generational view. In the Old Testament, he says it this way, I'm the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a multi-generational God. And when we start with God, sometimes it's not just for us. It's for our children and their children and their children. And so sometimes when we begin with God, we're not just getting our own lives well positioned. I think that's helpful and important. But God has a long view. God is doing stuff in us and through us that's not actually even about us. He's doing it for generations to come. And so sometimes we pay the price. We know we loved, we live lives of sacrifice and servanthood and surrender because God has got a much bigger plan of what he is accomplishing on the earth. So always remember, when you begin with God, you can begin with expectation. He can do more. When you begin with God, you can begin by dreaming big. When you begin with God, you can allow him to work in you to create more capacity, strength, and energy. 
so that he can work through you. And when you begin with God, you begin with this multi-generational God's plans and with his glory in mind. And so my year started with four words. In the beginning, God. Let's make this year about beginning with God, whether that's in September, October, November, December, whether that's in triumph or tragedy, let's always, in every situation, as we encounter things at work, as we encounter things in our family, let's pause and say, how do I begin this with God? How do I begin this knowing that I'm loved no matter what's happening, no matter what the loss or triumph is, that I'm loved? How do I begin this knowing that God can do more than I expect? How can I do this knowing that God's got more generations in mind than what I can imagine? Let's begin with God. Now, if you've been at Hatfield a while, you'll know and understand that we firmly believe that our faith isn't just expressed on a Sunday and on Sunday morning during a service. Our faith in being a disciple of Jesus affects every aspect of who we are. So we talk about whole life disciples, but we also talk about front lines. Your front line is that place where God has placed you to be an agent for his kingdom, to love people, to ask, to pray, to tell people about Jesus, to make good work, to live out his kingdom in every possible aspect that we can. And so this morning also to say that God has a plan for your front line. I love the way Pastor Louis said it last week. God has a plan and we're invited to be part of it. Not there's a plan for my life and everything else revolves around that. God has a plan for your front line, for your family, for where, for you. Let's step in and be part of it by beginning with God this year. God has a dream for you and your front line, a dream that is more than you can expect or imagine. Worship team, if you want to come up so long, I'm going to move towards ending this. So I do think we're living in significant times, unprecedented times. And I think it's more important than ever that in every endeavor, everything we start, we endeavor to begin with God. Two examples from the Bible, one Old Testament, one New Testament. As I was just thinking about beginning with God, Isaiah lived in the 700s before Jesus, about 2,700 years ago, and we're still reading what he wrote. It's impressive. Okay. Prophet Isaiah looks what's happening in the world around him. He sees that the leadership of his nation is making choices and compromises that don't align with God. He sees things, and I'm not talking politics now, I'm talking that Isaiah looks at, discerns the time that he's living in and he sees which direction things are going and he discerns that's not what God's plan is. And so he seeks God and he engages with the king, he happened to have access to the king. But we get to this point in chapter six where Isaiah needs more of God. He needs to, he's going to start like a whole call that God has for him. In Isaiah 6, he gets caught up and he has this revelation, this vision of God. It's recorded something like this. It says that he saw the Lord. It's very important. We need to see the Lord. If we're going to begin with God, we need to see God. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw God in a way he hadn't seen him before. He learned something about God when he saw him there. Like he had it high lifted up in the train of his robe filled the temple, God's glory was still on the earth. Even though Isaiah said, this is not going right, this is not working well, God was still in control. And so Isaiah becomes a voice to the nation. He lives out, he gets very clear revelation of God's plan in history and how Jesus would come, chapter 53, how he would suffer for us. 
because he saw God. He started with God when he saw a problem. God revealed himself to him. He made himself known to him in a way that he needed. Another example could be the Apostle John. He served Jesus for decades. We read about this in Revelation chapter 1. He served Jesus for decades. He was there with Jesus at the Last Supper. He saw Jesus hanging on the cross. He experienced the church of Jesus spreading across the whole Roman world, the whole known world to him at that time. And he ends up on the island of Patmos in exile because he follows Jesus. And he discerns that the church is going to go through troubling times, that there's going to come pressure on the church more than there has been. Served God faithfully for decades and he, seeking God on this companion in trouble and suffering, Jesus reveals himself to John in a way that he hadn't known before. Served Jesus faithfully for decades, seen everything of Jesus' life. And he turns around and he sees Jesus, and there's a whole lot of symbolic language there, but he sees Jesus coming as the king of the kings, the Lord and the ruler of the earth. And so as we approach and we discern what's going on in our times, we must begin with God. But it also begins by going, God, I need to know more. I need a revelation of you. I need an understanding of you. I need to know more of your love so that I can be well positioned to serve my generation, so that I can be well positioned to do what you have called me to do on my front line. We need an all-encompassing, life-altering vision of God. And the only way to get there is to consistently begin with God. And so as we go into this year, let's always come back and begin with God. In the beginning, God. Now, I felt this morning to pray a specific prayer, a specific benediction over us, and maybe we can do one more song in worship or something before we close the service. Part of it's from the verses we've just read in Ephesians 3. Part of it comes from Jude verse 24. So may I invite you to stand, and then I want to pray this prayer over us as a community this morning uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit as well. Let's just open our hearts to receive from the Lord. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that works within us, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, and power, and authority. To him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen, and amen. Let's worship.